0: Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Active Growth Podcast. Today, we continue in our series on the topic of your job is to ship. As a quick reminder, what we mean when we say your job is to ship is that your job is to finish things, is to publish things and get them out there into the world. This is a fundamentally important entrepreneurial skill And it applies on a large scale as well as on a small scale. And what I mean by that, on a large scale, your job is to ship, your job is to finish and get something finished and get your business as a whole launched and out into the world, right? Get that thing up and running and producing something of value so that that's the foundation of your entire business. But it's also important on a much smaller scale. Your job is also to ship the much, much smaller things like, you know, finish writing and publish that blog post, finish this video and publish it, finish this ad campaign and publish it, and so on. It is a fundamentally important entrepreneurial skill to be able to ship. Unfortunately, it's also a fundamental and very common entrepreneurial problem. It's what we've called entrepreneurial procrastination, and it's basically the opposite of shipping, right? It's basically doing everything that isn't shipping. It is procrastinating on the things that you really need to do to move your business forward. So we've talked about this in the last two episodes already and we're continuing our deep dive into this topic because it is such an important and such a common problem that keeps entrepreneurs back. Now, there are different forms of entrepreneurial procrastination and some of them, as you'll see today, don't even feel like procrastination when you're doing them. So what you'll discover in today's episode Is among other things why it's actually not human nature at all to be an entrepreneur and it's much more natural to procrastinate. So we'll look at why that is and what you can do about it. You'll also see that what you measure and how you measure it in your business makes a huge difference to your productivity and spoiler alert the stuff we most commonly measure is exactly the wrong stuff and it really sometimes seems like the world conspires against you, but we'll show you how to fix that. We'll also learn about an experiment that was run in a pottery class and why the outcome of that experiment is extremely important for how we design our work as entrepreneurs. And we'll show you the one simple mindset switch that has helped Hannah that has helped me and many other entrepreneurs change our attitude to shipping and helped us overcome the fear of failure. All this and more is coming up and you can go to activegrowth.com forward slash nine to get all of the show notes and resources. That includes our three part, your job is to ship online course that you can sign up for for free and includes all the references, links, comments, books, and everything else that goes along with this episode. And with that, let's get into it. I'm Shane Malach.
1: And I'm
0: And what we're talking about today is the kind of entrepreneurial procrastination that doesn't feel like procrastination. Like if you do this, if you do this kind of procrastination, if I come to you and I ask, are you procrastinating? Then you'll tell me, no, no, look, I'm working. <laughs> I'm working. I'm doing things. I'm, I'm rewriting this bit and I'm adding this feature and I'm making this here a bit better. And I'm looking for the perfect tool to do this. Like you're you're busy but you're still not shipping. And of course, your job is to ship. And the whole point of this series is to get you to the point where you're really, really good at efficiently shipping. So even though it doesn't feel like procrastination, in reality, you're still procrastinating because you're not doing the thing that you need to do. You're not delivering your work. It's basically like you're working, but you're doing it in secret and you're avoiding launching. I call this most commonly this is basically procrastination by perfectionism because you always have a reason to put things off and the reason is some form of this isn't good enough yet in today's episode we will take a look at what causes this and what you can do about it so first of all let's think about why does this happen why is this so common and in fact let me start there this is very common Okay, if you do this and if you're listening to this and you, you're starting to feel guilty and go, oh my God, yes, I do put off things and I do procrastinate by perfectionism. Don't feel bad about it. Because first of all, you're not alone in this. This is such a common problem among entrepreneurs.
1: Um, I would go even further. I think the moment that you ask somebody, like, why didn't you do it yet? Perfectionism is probably like the most common answer.
0: Yes, Entrepreneurial types are generally not lazy. It's not that they just don't do anything. So if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely in that group of people where you basically keep yourself busy. You're always doing stuff. So that's not the problem. The problem is that you don't get to that point of shipping. So let's think about why is this so common? And to think about that, let's ask ourselves, what's the biggest advantage of working on something but not releasing it? Because generally people do things for a good reason they they do things because it's good for them so what's the advantage what do we get out of working on stuff but not releasing it i love to think of it as an example of writing a book and i love this because first of all a lot of people have this as a goal right they think ah oh, one day i'll write a book i'll publish a book and also so do I. <laughs> I was just gonna say guilty. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I do think of myself as someone who's going to write a book eventually, right? <laughs> Let's say you want to write a book and you you've started writing it, you you have you know your document somewhere and you work on that occasionally. You are working on this book, you've got your file somewhere, right? Your document that you work on. Maybe you've got a couple of chapters, you've got an outline, you've maybe got piles of notes, but you're nowhere near publishing it yet. And This is this is a good position to be in 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 many ways. You're working on this book. You've got your, your document, your doc file on your computer somewhere that you're working on. You maybe have an outline. You probably have piles of notes and things, but you're nowhere near publishing this thing. It's an ongoing project. And this is quite a nice position to be in for some reasons. So you can call yourself a writer kind of right. You can think of yourself as a writer because you're doing this. And you can dream big. You can think about how great this will be once it's finished. You can imagine how you publish your book at some point and it will take the world by storm. It will be a massive bestseller and you'll get all this adoration from fans and you'll get money and you'll be invited to give speeches and interviews and things like that. And it will be fantastic. And this feels good. Like we discussed in the last episode, this kind of dreaming is really nice to do because it feels good, but it actually keeps us from getting things done and finishing things. And then there's the fear factor, because as long as you're still working on it, as long as it's still a work in progress, you can do this dreaming, but this will be confronted, these dreams will be confronted with reality as soon as you actually finish this thing. And what if none of those things you dreamed about come true? What if no one buys your book? What if it gets bad reviews? What if you get no adoration and also no money? And then perhaps worst of all, if that happens, can you really call yourself a writer? Because then you've definitely failed, right? And that, that is something we're afraid of. It reminds me a bit of the quote by Abraham Lincoln, which says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. I think this is a kind of a similar situation. It's better to not publish your book and think, you know, maybe some people think, ah, this guy's never going to make it, but still you can think of yourself as, you know, maybe, maybe I'll make it. It's better to be in that position than to actually finish something and prove to the world that you're not a writer and that you aren't a success, right? This is this fear of failure.
1: I actually noticed this with a friend of mine who said that he wanted to travel the world. And he was always talking about this and always being in this um, planning mode about traveling the world and not even really planning, like the dreaming mode, like exactly what we told last episode that was so bad for actually getting something done right and the main reason for this was that he wasn't very happy with his life at that point and the idea of traveling was so yeah so attractive basically that he didn't want to take action on that because he might just find out that traveling wasn't all that attractive and that maybe his life at the moment wasn't all that bad and so i think that this is something that can really happen exactly like you described, with a book, with an e-course, with any entrepreneurial project, with an event, with anything where you put yourself out there and you might get the result that it's not as good and that it's not as fun and that it's not as perfect as you hoped it would be.
0: And this is a very justified fear because, well, real life tends to be messy and it tends to be difficult. And even though we read a lot about and, you know, the kind of media coverage and so on is, of course, always on like spectacular success stories. You know, someone creates this little product and, you know, they just make all this money, it becomes like an overnight success. This is the story that we hear over and over again. But in reality, this happens to almost no one. In reality, the way businesses are built is like a slow grind. And so it's definitely, it's a, it's a well-founded fear, right? If you're dreaming about how great it will be to be successful, but then you're afraid that maybe it's not going to be like that. Maybe it's going to be much slower and much messier. And my first product is going to be kind of rubbish. Well, that's a well-founded fear. You're probably right. Um, it takes much more time and it is just messier in real life than in our fantasies.
1: But then if this is so attractive, what can we do to avoid it?
0: Right, so let's get into our interventions, into our action steps of what you can do. The first one is to change what you measure. And I call this your personal KPI. So a KPI, in case you're not familiar, a KPI is a key performance indicator, and it's used in many contexts in business. It's basically a question of what do you measure? What is an indicator of the performance you're trying to improve? And of course, what you measure makes a big difference to to your results. In general, we pay attention to what we measure and we work on improving what we measure. Uh, Measuring stuff makes things visible, brings them to the forefront and makes it easier to change them. And in fact, not measuring things makes it almost impossible to change them. Right? You can can have aspirations about, oh, I wish this would be better or that would be different. But if you don't have something to measure it by, how is it ever going to happen?
1: Yeah, I always like to say, especially in marketing, it's if you don't measure it, you can't improve it. And the same is true here. The same is true in your life, right? If you can't measure it, you
0: can't improve it. Exactly. And this is part of what we talked about in the last episode. Uh, The M part of the SMART goals is measurable. So we've already covered this. And today we're looking more at, you know, what do you measure and what do you put your focus on? The stuff that we tend to measure as online entrepreneurs is usually exactly wrong. We tend to look at things like how much money is my business making, how much traffic am I getting, how many customers do I have, how many social media followers do I have, things like that. Especially these, these vanity metrics of social media followers, traffic and things like that are the most immediately available numbers that we have. because even without setting anything up right without any kind of technical knowledge these are the numbers that are shown to you you upload a a video to youtube and it shows you how many people watch the video right you you create a twitter account it shows you how many followers you have it's like these numbers are the most immediately and most easily accessible numbers but they're also the wrong numbers to focus on what all of these numbers have in common that i just mentioned is that they're all outside of your own control right the the amount of traffic you get to your site is outside of your control it's outside of your direct control because you can't force people to come to your website right you can only do things that will increase your chances of getting more visitors but you can't directly force people to come to your website and the same is with you know, measuring. I'm not saying it's wrong to measure how much revenue your business is generating. Of course, you need to know how much revenue b- your business is generating. But you also have to be aware that this is a number that is outside of your own control because you can't force people to give you money. And so it's very important that you measure and pay attention to things that are under your direct control.
1: The one with the revenue is, I think, the most controversial one because it's pretty easy to understand that, okay, followers and, and it doesn't have a direct impact on our business already. Um, But yeah, I think the point you're making with the revenue not being immediately in your control is uh, a bit counterintuitive. So if revenue is out of your control, then what exactly is in your control?
0: Exactly. I have to deconstruct that. I have to think about, okay, what causes revenue? Let's say it's people buying my product. I'm selling a product on my website. It's people buying my product. Where do these people come from? So that's where analytics can be useful. and Maybe I can see, okay, a certain marketing channel is working really well for me. Okay, maybe it's content marketing, right? I'm creating content. This content is attracting organic traffic from from social and search. And some of those visitors are converting into buyers. And that's where my revenue is coming from. Now, still, this is still stuff that I don't have direct control over. I have to deconstruct it a step further and say, okay, so what I can do, the thing I can directly do is I can do the content marketing stuff, right? I can create and publish new blog posts. I can do keyword research and figure out what to write about. I can do all these kinds of things to do more of the stuff that kind of starts off this chain of events, right? It starts off with content which attracts traffic which leads to sales, which generates revenue, right? So I have to actually unravel this several steps back to figure out where's the thing that I can actually do. And of course, this is just one example, right? It it might be totally different. And this is why it's so important, because I just gave an example of content marketing, but you might follow those steps back and you might notice that, no, it's something totally different that is the main source of revenue, right? It might be, it might be, paid advertising it might be paid advertising on Facebook or it might be Google AdWords or it might be display ads or it might be again something totally different and unless you follow that chain of events back to the thing that you can actually do then you can't actually change that number that you care about the revenue number in any significant way all you can do is you can look at the number and if it goes up you can feel good and if it goes down you can feel bad which is what most of us do with vanity metrics, right? We simply look at them and we hope that the number goes up because that makes us feel good. And that's the end of the story, but that's not useful.
1: It's actually one of those things that I kind of hate when I see that revenue goes up, which sounds stupid, I know, but when I see revenue going up and, and I have no clue why, because I didn't do anything specific then I I don't really like that because at that point it's like, okay, let's go on this uh, goose hunt to try to find out if maybe an affiliate did a promotion for us, if maybe we got a link on on a new blog or... or... Because if it's just random and you look at the numbers and you're like, woohoo, more revenue, but you have no clue why, then you can't recreate that and you can't reproduce it. And so it's not very valuable at that point.
0: Exactly. And you might just, you're just a kind of a victim of it then, right? Because if, if revenue goes up and you don't know why, then revenue can go down and you'll also not know why. Yeah.
1: And it's just cross your fingers and hope that it will happen again,
0: maybe. <laughs> exactly. Which isn't a great like marketing strategy. <laughs> really. So yeah, it's, it's much better to to really know, okay, this is what we did. This was the result. So we can do more of what works less of what doesn't work so this is the first idea of of looking at the thing that matters and following that chain of events back to something you can do yourself and like i said you know an example of that would be okay we're going to create more of this kind of content because this kind of content leads to this kind of traffic leads to these sales or we're going to invest more in this advertising channel because that's where our sales are coming from and so on so an example of something that's under control is basically anything you can create yourself. And so it is, for example, better to focus on, you know, doing the work and saying, you know, I need to launch my product, I need to finish my book, I need to finish my online course or whatever it is. But there's also a problem with kind of using that as your KPI, as your personal KPI, because it's like a single distant goal, right? finishing my online course and launching it is like this single point and it's a yes, no state, right? I've either done it or I haven't done it yet. And so it doesn't give me any kind of ongoing information about how I'm doing. So maybe I'm working away, I'm slaving away at my course every day and I'm doing the typical perfectionism thing. I'm going, ah, I have to change this and I have to add some more lessons here and I have to restructure this. So I'm working on it every day, but I'm just asking myself, my goal is always just like, well, I want to finish and release this. And every day, if you, if you think of it as a graph, right? There's only two points on the graph. Every day is just no, 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 no. <laughs> I haven't released it yet.
1: That's not very motivating.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not very motivating. And it doesn't give me any indication of how I'm progressing towards this goal. So that's another problem we need to avoid. I need to be able to see every day, did I actually move towards my goal in a significant way or not? So then would it be better to put a goal of writing a chapter every day? that would be an example. So there again we want to have this goes into the smart goal thing again, right? We want to have a clearly defined end result. So instead of just saying, oh, at some point in the distant future my online course is going to be perfect and then I'm going to release it, right? Is that you have a very clearly defined outline where it's like, okay, these are the these are the different things I need to cover, these are the lessons that are going to be in there and I have like this finite goal. I know, okay, the total thing is going to be 23 lessons and I'm going to create one lesson every day or, yeah, like you said, you know, write one chapter every day, something like that. So then I can I can track this progress and go, okay, today I didn't manage to do a chapter, but the day before I managed to do two, the day before that I did one and so on. And I can see myself progressing towards this end goal of having all 23 chapters or all 23 lessons done. So let's do... A couple more examples, just to give you more practical examples of what this measuring the right thing could look like. Another example would be, let's say my job is to, or one of the things I need to do is improve conversions on my website. Here again, I can't like force people to buy more and I can't, I can't directly influence conversion rates on my site. But what I can do is I can have a system. I can establish a system that I can follow on a regular basis. So that system might be something like I watch visitor recordings interacting with my website and I analyze heat maps. And based on those, I come up with a hypothesis. When I have a hypothesis of, you know, I believe if we change this, it will increase our conversions. I start an A, B test based on that hypothesis. And this is something I can do on a regular basis, right? I can, I can basically track. How many A-B tests did I launch this month? And I can track, am I doing this work, right? It's like, this is part of my daily work. Do this analysis, watch these recordings, check out these heat maps, or maybe start a bunch of new recordings and so on um, to come up with the hypothesis. And I can track my progress in stuff I can control, which is this month I started four A-B tests and that's good. Last month I only did two, that was less progress. On
1: the A-B testing, so you would say, okay, I have to launch at least this amount of A-B tests during a month. Or you could say, every time I need at least to have an A-B test running on my sales page. So that you actually get into this habit of improving it all the time. And I think what's important here is that you didn't hear us talking about you have to get a positive result with those A-B tests. Because that's something that's completely out of your control. You can do the exercise, you can try to imagine what would work better, but in the end, like you don't have a crystal ball, you really can't decide whether you're going to improve that conversion rate on your sales page so if your kpi if you're if what you're measuring would be i need to improve my sales page by one uh, percent this month that's something that's not in your control whereas if you say i need to launch at least two a b tests on my sales page this month then that is something that you can do and the probability of then improving your conversion rate goes up significantly of course
0: as a final example, I want to revisit our customer first strategy from our first series. And there is the same kind of thing, you know, we, we presented this strategy and it is a great way to get customers, it is a great way to start getting paid. But of course, it's still a numbers game. You will reach out to some people and not all of them will get on a coaching call with you and you will pitch your services to people and not all of them will become paying customers. So. Again, you, you don't want to be focusing too much on how many paying customers do I have? How much revenue is this generating? What you want to focus on and what you want to measure day by day is reaching out to a certain number of people every day and starting the coaching sessions with them and always making your pitch for the paid upgrade in the second coaching session. So you can measure how am I following this system, right? How many people did I reach out to this week? To how many people did I make the pitch? And this is the the work that you should, first of all, you know, you should check this off on a checklist or in your calendar or something. And you should, this is like the, the small success. You should feel good about having done this. Whether or not you've closed a sale, you should feel good about having done the work of reaching out to people, giving them the coaching session, and then pitching your offer.
1: At one point I was actually doing this actively and my system was, I had to contact at least five people on LinkedIn and five people on Facebook. And simply I had like this introduction text about my website, about what I was doing and asking people what they were doing. And to see, well, of course the goal was to get them to to sign up, but that was not what I was measuring, right? The one thing that I had to do every morning, the moment that I opened my computer, was simply copy pasting that text and sending it to five people on LinkedIn and five people on Facebook. And then made it, like you said, um, that gave that small little win where you start your day and you actually already did something that you know is building up to this bigger goal. So It actually, like, it feels really good to do this kind of of small things. And if you know that you are doing the right small things and that you are measuring the right small things to get to that bigger goal, it's, it's very gratifying to do that.
0: I also want to add to that that while there are no guarantees and starting your own business and getting paid for stuff you do yourself is generally difficult, I also have to say that if you do this kind of relentless work, right? you relentlessly keep at it, you're always willing to do the work, to do this in small steps, to measure your progress and to look at the data that you're basically gathering like this and willing to make improvements. This is the most guaranteed way to success that I know, right? It's not, it's not quick and it's not easy. It's not going to happen from one moment to the next, but if you're relentless like this and you keep. You stay disciplined about deconstructing things to that point of where you have control and you just relentlessly pursue that. And You're always open to looking at the data and making improvements. This is the path to success that I know that's, you know, for me, this is low risk. I'm very risk averse, right? I don't like doing risky things. This is a low risk approach to me because if you just keep doing that, you just keep doing that, something will come of it. You will eventually make this work.
1: Which the whole risk-averse could be a completely different podcast because many people think that entrepreneurs actually like risk, while studies have shown that most entrepreneurs are very risk-averse. But yeah, it's it's something very interesting about having some task that you can do it and just do it over and over and over and over again. And knowing that each time that you do that task, it's going towards that bigger goal. And it's not just... You, Shane, saying this, or me saying that this worked for me, it's actually something that has been studied. And uh, this example comes from the Art and Fear book, and there are other sources that are actually confirming this. And it's about a pottery class. So this teacher announced at the beginning of the class that she would separate the class in two groups, and one group had to make as many pots as possible. And the second group had the same amount of time, so I don't know anymore if it was like a week or something, or one day, they had the same amount of time, but they had to make the best pot possible. So one group was on quantity, and the other group was on quality. And by the end of the day, they actually looked at the results that the groups were getting and objectively they they looked at which group got the best results. And what might be curious about this is that actually the group that was focused on quantity, so doing one pot, starting over again, doing a second one, starting over again, doing a third one, starting over again, at the end came up with a better end result than the group that was just trying to perfect this one thing again and again and again and a little bit more and staying with only one result.
0: Yeah. And so to, to clarify this, actually, this, this study, the the one group, the quantity group, they were literally graded using a scale. It was basically just all the pots you made. I'm going to put them on a scale and if you you know reach a certain Weight, you get an A. Okay, that's how they were graded. So literally, they were, they were basically told, yeah, sure, you you have to make pots, right? This is a pottery class. You're making pots, but it literally doesn't matter at all. Like nobody's gonna look at, is this a nice pot? Does it even look like a pot? It's like how much clay did you use? That's how you get graded. And and the the quality group, much you know, much more obviously, is like, well, make a nice pot, and we'll have you know people judge the quality and niceness of this pot. And and to me, that it blows my mind. You know, when I read this, it blows my mind because, like, literally, you're telling people just make a pile of clay, essentially, but it's in a pottery context. And because it's like, well, you have nothing better to do. You might as well make pots. And just by doing it over and over again, just by creating this volume, they end up making objectively nicer, higher quality, more quote unquote perfect pots. That's pretty crazy, no? (laughs) Yeah. It is. I have made a series of videos on this topic because I very strongly believe that that this is a fix that many entrepreneurs have to apply to their lives and their work, right? You have to focus on quantity, on the volume of stuff you put out, because that's how you get better. We'll link to those videos from the show notes. We'll also dive into this here a bit. What you need to do to put this into practice is you need to ask yourself, what do you need, what do you need to be good at to reach your goal? Okay, what are the skills you need to reach your goal? First of all, this gives you this frame as well of what can I do, right? How can I improve myself? And that's something that I can control and not what needs to happen externally, what needs to happen in the world around me for me to have a successful business. It's the question of what do I need to get good at to make this business work? Then you want to decide how you're going to get good at this. Remind yourself of this. this. You can use the daily reminder technique, right? Use the daily reminder technique to kind of remind yourself. This is what I've decided to get good at. This will make me more successful, the better I get at it. And then you start producing volume and you can use 30 day challenges. Another tool that we've talked about where you can say, you know, like my example again was, you know, make a video every day for 30 days to get better at making videos. And you can apply this to a lot of stuff, but you want to start building that skill by just outputting a lot of stuff. We've been talking about creating your own product and that's what we advocate, create your own digital products. For me, this was information products at one point. And so my personal example of how I applied what we just talked about, how I applied the quantity over quality approach is this. At one point I decided that I wanted to sell information products. And so I had to get good at creating excellent products. For me, that was very clear, you know, I wasn't going to do like trashy, second-rate um, information products and just be really good at selling them, which no. I saw. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought that was a perfect goal in life to sell trashy products.
0: That seems to be the attitude of some uh, online marketers for sure, right? Like they, they make you can rubbish say products. say scammers. It's okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they make rubbish products and they just, they just, you know, make very hypey sales pages for them and people buy them anyway. So obviously that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, like the basis for my information product business was going to be that I make really, really good products. So how do I do that? Well, I create and release a product, I get feedback on it, then I create and release another product and I get feedback on that and I create and release another product and so on and i did this as quickly as i could i've talked about this before but you know i started with a free ebook right that was my first product was like okay i'm going to put together this free ebook give it away for free ask people to leave comments or you know reply to my email or whatever to tell me what they think what i could improve and so on and then i made another ebook and then i made like an online course with video and downloadable PDFs and it was pretty rubbish. And, and then I rebuilt that online course. Okay. I rebuilt that online course, made a new version of it, made it nicer. Then I made my first version of my first paid product. I got feedback on that. Then I updated it, got feedback on that. I made another paid product, another free one. Then I created a new membership thing and I rebuilt all of my free stuff and put it in there. Then I made another paid product Then I completely rebuilt my best-selling premium product and relaunched it again. So in the course of just a couple of years, maybe two, two and a half years, I was churning out products and even just because, you know, rebuilding a product and re-releasing it is another example. It's like, you know, you make a pot, you throw it away, you make another pot, right? (laughs) So... I was doing this. This is how I applied volume. This is how I applied quantity. I was churning out product after product after product. And I think this is what a lot of people don't realize, because so many of us will have the goal of creating one product, right? I'm going to create this one course and just agonize over it and spend ages on it. Whereas all the while, you know, while you're sitting there going, Oh my God, this isn't good enough yet. And just keeping working on this pot (laughs) I'm just churning, 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 churning. The time it takes you to make that one thing, I've released like four things and re-released one of them, right? And this is how I got good at it. This is, this is the reason I can now competently create an information product.
1: And from a business side of view, like it, it also makes sense, right? Because think about it. If, Shane, you created that product, You sold it, you got money for it already, you got feedback, you re-released it, you got money for it again. Whereas if you would have kept it to yourself, first of all, you would never have had that feedback. So probably even the finished, polished, however you want to call it, version would not be as good as the re-release of the product. And second of all, you would not have had like those first customers.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's... I don't see how any of this could have happened with a different approach, because I would have run out of money at some point, and I wouldn't have ever gotten this this vital feedback that helps me make better stuff, because it's it's out of that feedback that I figure out what other products I need to make or how I need to improve my product and so on. So I, I don't see how I could have made this work any other way than through volume. And here's another thing to keep in mind, right? like I said, my first ebook wasn't great, you know, and the the first time I tried to put together like an online um, course kind of thing with video and stuff, that was pretty messy, you know, because I I didn't do that well. But it doesn't matter. You know, nobody ever told me, oh, you know, your online course, the design of your membership site is a bit crap. And the videos take a bit long to load or whatever, the layout is a bit whatever, right? Basically, in general, people got value out of what I was creating, even if the presentation wasn't super polished, even if there were still gaps in in what I was teaching. They got value out of it. They told me about what they liked, what they were still confused about, what questions they had, and that allowed me to make better stuff. But, you know, it, it wasn't ever a problem. Nobody ever pointed the finger and laughed because I wasn't very good at this yet.
1: Do you remember how much you sold that for?
0: My very first product, like the first version of my first product, I did like a pre-launch thing. I sold it for nine dollars.
1: Because I think it's also one of those one of those traps where the moment, and I think we are we'll probably go deeper into this in, in a later stage. But where if you're imagining that you have to create a two thousand dollar course, people will have expectations for that, right? Whereas if you're like okay small course, put it out, small course again, put it out again, ask a little more each time because you're getting better at it each time. It's also a whole different feeling than having this huge monster thing that you need to create this flagship product, $2,000 type of product.
0: Absolutely. And that's exactly how it went, right? Because my, yeah, I first sold it for, for $9. I then updated and upgraded it and started selling it for, I think, around $50. And then later I, you know, upgraded it again, added more stuff again. And at one point it was selling for like 80 or $90. But it was always in line. I, yeah, it was always, I mean, I always felt slightly uncomfortable. That's also normal. It's all normal to feel uncomfortable asking for money, right? But it was always in line with, with my ability and in line with, with what I was delivering, which... I agree. Yeah, if I if I had tried to make a two thousand dollar product as my first thing, I would have definitely, uh, you know, crumbled under the pressure of trying to make that happen.
1: Now, my personal example about this, doing it over and over and over again, and measuring what is in your control, is for public speaking. So this year, I decided that public speaking was one of the skills that I wanted to develop um, for for my career. For whatever, for what I want to do in in my life and in business. And I cannot control how many people will actually come to my speeches. Like, not really. I mean, I can invite some people or whatever. But what I can control is the number of invites or the number of, of emails that I'm sending out to offer to speak somewhere. So my KPIs for this public speaking Uh, skill building is that I measure how many times I'm applying for speaking gigs. And that is something that I can measure. So I can tell myself that I need to apply for at least whatever, four speaking gigs in a month, and that I have to try to book or that I have to try to book one speaking gig and at that point maybe I will have to send out a hundred emails in order to book one speaking gig, but that's in my control. And then how many people actually come to the speech or come listen to me? That's mostly in control of the person that's organizing the event, right? So I can't really control that, but I think it's, it's one of those empowering things when you can, when you actually understand that you can start measuring what's in your own
0: control. So that's the point about focusing on quantity over quality. And so one last point I wanna make about this is that it is also a question of mindset. It's you have to start focusing on and getting attached to the longer term outcome. Instead of sitting there going, Oh my god this one pot i'm working on right now has to be perfect i will be judged by how good this pot is and it's unacceptable to make this pot anything other than perfect and you're sitting there sweating feeling under pressure feeling stressed and so on you're so attached to the immediate short-term outcome of this one pot you're working on and it's simply the wrong approach what you need to get attached to is the longer term goal of I will get good at making pots. And the way I get good at making pots is by making lots of them. And we know this, I think we know this from art, because all kids draw, right? All kids draw and they basically make a mess on a piece of paper with a bunch of colored crayons. And slowly over time, they get slightly better at drawing and they can kind of draw little characters and things. And we know that anyone who's a great artist who can, who can make a, a fantastically beautiful or lifelike drawing, we know that that's a progression, a very slow progression that starts with this really simplistic, childish drawing. And slowly over time, one drawing after another, it gets slightly better each time until you finally have this masterpiece.
1: That's why I'm still drawing stick figures.
0: That is, yes, and that's why most of us are still drawing stick figures that are barely identifiable, because we stopped at that point, right? We stopped drawing regularly, and there is absolutely no way you're going to sit down and draw a masterpiece right now by trying hard. There is no way. The (laughs) only way you get better at things is through quantity, through volume. And you need to get attached to this idea. I want to be good at this in the future. And the way I get good at this in the future is by shipping a lot of stuff now. We mentioned earlier that this procrastination by perfectionism is common among entrepreneurs. And we also talked to an expert who gave us some more insights about this.
2: This is uh, fairly typical in those kind of people who... Uh, are a rather perfectionist in their their attitude to life that they feel that they can't possibly launch their product or their service until it's perfect. And of course it's never going to be perfect. That
0: was Graham Jones. He is a psychologist who specializes in human behavior as it relates to the internet and he's working with many entrepreneurs on the human side of building and running online businesses.
2: And those uh, people are so sure that the world is not ready for something unless it's perfect that they will always put it off and entrepreneurs as a bunch of people largely do want things to be perfect because they are launching something onto the world that's theirs and so they don't want any people saying you know this isn't ready for launch this is bad it's not good and so on but actually people don't say those things so it's a perceived fear that's an unreal fear and therefore they put things off because they don't think that what they've got is perfect enough for people to accept what we do know when you look at uh, things that uh, have been launched and are highly successful what i tend to find speaking to entrepreneurs myself who who do launch things what they consider to be early anything that's kind of 50 percent ready is usually okay by the audience so even if you've only put half the features you're currently planning in, actually the outside world thinks that's pretty good.
0: This is an important idea and I want to take this idea a bit further because it's not only that the thing that you think isn't good enough yet is probably pretty good by your audience's standards already. But think about, think about this. By not publishing this, you're depriving your audience of this thing that is pretty good and pretty useful for them. So start thinking about that. Whom are you hurting by not publishing? Whom are you hurting by endlessly putting this off and endlessly working on small details and not shipping? Because if you believe in what you're doing, if you're building something that's valuable, that means that as long as you're keeping it for yourself and as long as you're putting this off, you're depriving people to have access to this resource and to have access to a solution that they might sorely need
1: i think this is such an important point because it can really help you make that switch about getting out of your head and actually thinking about other people and thinking about how much you are hurting them by staying in this perfectionism mode and and not launching your thing right and the way i like to think about this is what if you had the cure to cancer like, would you really hold back because you're not having the perfect logo, or because the maybe like the lighting on your video isn't perfect, or and okay, probably your e-course, your ebook is not gonna cure cancer, but still, you believe in it. But you believe enough in your product, you believe enough in in the message that you want to get out into the world that. You, you must be hurting somebody by not getting it out. Maybe your solution will help time, help save time, will help save money, will uh, help them make a better business, will help them have better relationships, whatever. If you're a health coach, for example, and your program can help just one person to change their habits and not to get diabetes, like, isn't that worth much more than you being perfect on camera, or then you having the perfect layout in in your membership site. Like for me, the first time that I heard this about who are you actually depriving by not getting out the content, it really made a click. Like it really helped me see things from a different perspective.
0: Yes. For me, this was also something that made a difference and made me snap out of this perfectionism mode. And I think this is also a really important. You know, a core thing that we do and we talk about adaptive growth is that you create a value-based business, which means you create something that has real value. You provide some kind of a solution, you provide something that people need, something that helps people. And this is one of the great advantages, is that this thinking applies to good products, right? Because again, if you're if you're just kind of trying to build some kind of a you know passive income i'm gonna exploit some loophole and make some money or i'm gonna you know scam people and you know sell some crap and just get their money it's like then it's much it's much harder to motivate yourself to do something like that because your business is actually not adding any value to the world and the world is just as fine or perhaps even better off if you don't do it right (laughs)
1: Exactly. You're never going to be able to apply this mindset because it simply doesn't apply. But if you believe in in your product, it doesn't have to be extremely world-changing. I mean, if you teach people how to make better images for their website, it's not something that will save world hunger or um, whatever. But it is something that will help business owners to have a better image online and maybe to have a better business because of that. And it will make their website more trustworthy and maybe they will sell more because of you helping them create those images. So that's worth putting out in this world.
0: Yeah, you can think of it on a, on a really small scale. right? You're not going to start by, by changing everything in the world, but you can start by helping a few people achieve something or solve a small problem or something like that. And as long as you're doing this procrastination by perfectionism, you're depriving those people from having that. And look, I have to confess, I have this too. I have this procrastination by perfectionism very strongly. Okay. I have this impulse inside me and I have to remind myself of this all the time. I have to always get myself to focus on publishing anyway. So, all this stuff I talk about here and the, the whole concept of rapid implementation and shipping fast is really a self-administered solution. This is a solution I need and I apply these solutions that we talk about here to myself. A recent example of this is on the blog. There's a video, which is a very simple video of me talking to the camera, which is about should you publish or even sell something if you feel like it's not ready yet. and. This was a video that I made after recording a video for Thrive Themes that, you know, I had like a a studio set up and a green screen and stuff, made one of our, let's say, fancier videos there. And I had this idea in my head and I just kind of, you know, before turning off the lights, I turned on the camera again and I talked to the camera a bit and I was hesitant about publishing that because it's a bit rambly. Like it takes me several minutes to get to the point. And also the lighting in the video is really bad. And I look a bit exhausted and there's some noise outside. And it's like, there's a lot of small things wrong with that video, right? It's, it's definitely not my best or most polished video. And I was hesitant. I had this feeling where it's like, well, is this, is this good enough? Should I publish this? It's just going to waste people's time, but go and look. And we'll link to that. Go and look at the comments on that video. Okay. there are several people, several people have come in and said, oh, my God, this is what I needed to hear. This made a difference for me. That is worth doing. If I had listened to this voice of perfectionism, gone, well, you know, the lighting isn't so good, I'm not going to publish this. I would have deprived all of those people of something they needed to hear. Right. I would have deprived all of those people of a positive difference that this piece of content made in their lives.
1: Your inner voice is very whiny. (laughs) <laughs> it i mean
0: i i think so yeah that the inner perfectionist voice is is a bit whiny it's a bit of a prick <laughs> so how do you put this into practice for me the best way to put this into practice is to just do it as a writing exercise so you take a piece of paper you write down who am i depriving by not you know publishing my solution or my product or whatever it is and you just write you write what comes to mind and like, like Hannah said, for her, it was, it's kind of a one-time thing that switches your perspective, right? And for me, it's the same thing. You know, I, I spent some time thinking and writing about this, and it switched my perspective. And then you can just remind yourself of this whenever you hear that whiny, perfectionistic voice in your head again. Now, we've got another solution for you that you can put in place and that you should think about. And for this, we are going to go back to Graham Jones. We asked him about this question. We asked him, you know, what's the cure for this problem? What's the cure for procrastination by perfectionism? And he gave us an answer that's surprisingly simple but also incredibly useful.
2: The cure is to get someone else to do the launch and whilst that might involve a cost uh, or it might involve some kind of um, swapping of uh, services between different people in other words get somebody else to be responsible for the launch. So you take it uh, to where a you know, with your plans and your roadmap for your development, and you take it to a particular point. But you, as the entrepreneur, carry on with the creative stuff, the stuff that really makes entrepreneurs tick, and somebody else launches it. And those people who you might psychologically call completer finishers, these are people who finish things off and get things done, those kind of people will go, well, that's good enough, we'll just get it out there and then you carry on changing it and adapting it. And what happens is you see that through experience that actually it wasn't, from your perspective as an entrepreneur, ready for the world, but actually the world loved it. Um, And so you learn from that experience for the next product or service that you develop.
0: I can confirm that this works from my own experience because I've I've been this guy. I've been the, yeah, it's fine, no, it's fine, we're launching it now. I've been that person. For two other entrepreneurs in the past, right? I've I've basically stepped in with two other entrepreneurs who were doing the creative work and going, no, 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 it's not ready yet, and basically just went, okay, you know, started a partnership with them and was just like, yeah, whatever, uh, I don't care, you know, I'm not, I'm not listening to your complaints. We're just launching this now, and and it is important, right? So I I have and in fact, in many ways, I found myself in the role of, of like dragging stuff across the finish line, you know, (laughs) like dragging the creative kicking and screaming across the finish (laughs) line um, and and getting them to launch. So this is is definitely something that works. Um, And while Graham Jones talks about, you know, certain types of people who are maybe more prone to creative work and perfectionism and other types of people who are more um, complete or finishers, if you can find someone like that, that's great. But it can be a lot simpler than that because if you simply define your roles right you don't you don't have to find the perfect match for this if you can simply define your roles and say okay you're the person who's in charge of building this product and making making it good i am the person in charge of doing the marketing i'm going to launch it i'm going to do the sales material i'm going to do the selling right that is enough because when i'm working on my own stuff i'm the perfectionist as well but when i'm in the role of being the the launcher for someone else then it works, right? It, I my perfectionism doesn't apply to other people's work, so, so that's fine. Um, so if you just have a partner with clearly defined roles, you're the the creator, I'm the launcher, that can be extremely effective.
1: so I'm actually part of this mastermind group, and these are people that Of course, I trust and I think they have a certain level of of quality and a certain level of expertise in in their work. And so when they tell me that what I'm doing is good enough for launch, I listen to them. Because it's not not just random friends. It's not my mom telling me that now my book is ready or whatever. It's people who actually have quality standards that I admire and that I think are at a level where... I also want to wanna launch stuff at that level. And so having that, that group of people, so even if they are not actually the one um, who will launch the stuff, they will be the ones saying like, hey, next time that we call each other, you better have launched this because it's ready. And I think that's also very valuable, where if you have people that you can trust and that you think have the best, not just for you, it's not they are not patting you on the back, it's they have the best interest in your business, then you can listen and you can get over yourself and you can actually go into launch mode.
0: So in short, you can get other people to help you with this problem because you don't have to struggle with this problem on your own. You can get other people to help you in various ways. And with what you just said, Honey, you can also be that person in other people's lives, right? So you can, in your mastermind group on the one hand, you can get this feedback and you can trust other people to say, yes, this is ready. And at the same time, because like I said before, like your perfectionism generally only applies to yourself, right? So you can look at their stuff and you can be the that person in their life who says, no, this is ready and you should launch. And it can just be really, really helpful to not be alone in this.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So those are our action steps for today's episodes. And I'll give you a summary of those in just a minute. But first, I want to bring back Piers Steele from the last episode because he has a message that I think is really important.
3: I mean, if I was the Pope of procrastination, I would forgive you all.
0: That's just nice. I wanted to play that just because it's such a nice message. So consider yourself forgiven. But what exactly does Dr. Steele mean when he says this?
3: people look at it as a a human failing when it's really close to much just to being human that we all have this natural tendency to procrastinate it's built into us we can see it in the way our brains are created the way they evolved. you know the fact that we have a limbic and prefrontal system it's inevitable we're not designed to have the patience to pursue and projects that require us to wait years for their for the outcome so what we're doing is actually something kind of unnatural we're acting not as nature intended so of course we're going to have these particular types of problems and when we have them don't make it don't add fuel to the fire by feeling guilt about them the guilt makes you then not want to deal with themselves because when you think about your procrastination it's an awful feeling because now you think it reflects your self-worth so you know, if you can forgive yourself about it and just say, wow, this is, this is not good, it's kind of like if you came home and somebody ransacked your house, you wouldn't feel guilty. And you wouldn't will certainly wait for the burglar to come back to clean it up because that was his or her fault. You'd start cleaning up yourself. And the same type of thing about procrastination is that, yes, don't feel guilty about it, but do something about it. Uh, if, if people can get that mindset to be much more productive,
0: and if you need to use any or all of these systems and tools that we're giving you in this podcast, that's not a bad sign, right? That, that doesn't mean that you're not a real entrepreneur and you need all this help to make it work, right? We, you can't just get on with it. You can't just be like, I'm just going to do it. That would be like some kind of a superpower. And the truth is that these are problems we have to deal with. These are tools we have to use if we want to become effective entrepreneurs. And like I said before, I use these tools myself. I use these writing exercises, these daily reminders, 30 day challenges, all of this stuff that we talked about, I use as well because otherwise I couldn't ever get anything done.
1: And it's not something that is just one time. I think that's also very interesting because Shane, you've been like launching products and and, and doing all this online stuff. And the video you're talking about that you was hesitant about uh, publishing is like two weeks ago. Yes. So it's not something that at one point you're just okay with it and you get over with it. It's something that you will have to fight over and over and over again. And just having these systems in place and following what we laid out in this podcast, it's, it's what works for us. It's what we found with specialists that they are telling you that works. And you can apply this over and over and over again. Each time that you feel that you are getting into this trap of perfectionism and that you are noticing that you're not shipping.
0: Thank you for listening in. I'm back very briefly with some footnotes. So all of the resources we mentioned and all of the show notes you can find at activegrowth.com forward slash nine. So that is oneword.com forward slash nine, either the number nine or type out nine. Either way you will end up on the resources page for this episode. We link to the book, Procrastination Equation by Pierce Steele, who was featured here. We'll also link to Graham Jones's website if you want to hear and learn more from him. We also link to the Art of Fear book that was mentioned. That was where the pottery class example came from. And we link to the video I mentioned, which was basically a perfect example of something that I almost didn't ship because of perfectionism. And if you go and look at the comments there, you can. I mean, it's just really a perfect point for what we were talking about here. Also, we have added another lesson to our course that goes along with this podcast series. So all of the action steps we've put in a course that you can access on our site and you can also get it through activegrowth.com forward slash nine. The reason we did this is because while podcasts are a great way to learn and discover new things, I think they're not a great reference point or or they're not great reference material, right? It's not very efficient to try and go back through podcast episodes and, you know, try to find what was that exact strategy? What was that exact technique? What was that thing they mentioned? So because of that, we're actually taking all the action steps from these podcast episodes and putting them in the form of an online course it will make it much easier for you to come back to specific techniques. And, you know, basically we'll, we made little checklists where you can go, okay, here's how I apply this strategy. And you follow the checklists, and together with what you learned in by listening to the podcast, I think this will make this even more actionable. Now, as you probably noticed, this is quite unusual, right? We are we're basically providing a free course along with a podcast series instead of what you'd usually be hearing in the middle of the podcast and at the beginning and right now is I'd be, you know, doing sales pitches of some kind of, you know, sponsored by this and that, you know, go there to build your website or, you know, buy your mattress or whatever it is. So we're not doing any of that. And instead, we're giving you a free course. It's pretty unusual. And I'd like to know what you think of this. So this is another thing that's really important for the Active Growth Podcast. We want to hear from you. And you can go to activegrowth.com forward slash nine to leave us a voice message or, leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Did you try out the course? Is it useful for you? Is there, are there other things we should add? Um, let us know how to make this as useful as possible for you because the goal here is we want to help you beat this problem. That is not an easy thing to do. That's We realize that which is why we're really going all out and providing you information and resources to beat this entrepreneurial procrastination problem. So let us know how we're doing, and what else we can do to help you with this. And then finally, let me read out parts of another new iTunes review that has come in. Uh, John from the United States writes, trustworthy and a different slant. And he says, I first met Shane through his Thrive Themes, which has outstanding training for a WordPress blog, and their themes and content builder. This series on digital marketing lives up to the incredibly valuable content on Thrive Themes. I love his insights and approach, as I believe in relationship selling and heart-centered sales. It is refreshing to find someone who is also more committed to giving value and to offering incredible products in such a way that they appeal to the right market. This is a wonderful review. Thank you very much, John. And of course, if you enjoy this podcast, then we'd really appreciate it if you could head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And that is all for today. I really hope to hear from you whether you have positive things to say, encouraging things to say, or whether there are open questions or you found something confusing. We want to hear from you so we can make this more useful for you. So one last time, activegrowth.com forward slash nine. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll catch you next time.